So, core values and focus. We're moving through our core values for the year. Real quickly again, what are our three core values that we're focusing on this year? Somebody give me one. Fervent prayer, great. Somebody give me another. Evident faith, where'd that come from? Nice work, thank you, Jessica. I was like, it's back there somewhere. What's the last one? Eternally minded stewardship. Thank you, Luke. Those are the ones that we're focusing on together. We started with fervent prayer, and we're tying them all to an Old Testament character of some sort. Um, so who did we tie fervent prayer to? Anybody remember? Elijah, Elijah right? Uh, from James chapter 5, a man who prayed. And uh, I love this quote by Hudson Taylor. The power of prayer has never been tried to its full capacity in any church. So uh, let's do that. As God allows us together, let's pray. Pray with passion. See God work powerfully, uh, really, for things that matter. And we hit that when we talked about fervent prayer. So now we're going to talk about evident faith. And this one's actually a pretty easy one to tie to an Old Testament character, although I really thought about trying to go outside the box. This is always a temptation to us as pastors uh, to be like, okay, yeah, that's the obvious answer, but what would be the not so obvious? I just kind of came back to, you, you got to go to this uh, Old Testament character, character if you're going to talk about faith. And does anybody know who that might be? Abraham. Abraham is the guy. Uh, you're in Romans chapter 4. Let's read these verses together. Romans chapter 4. Talking about Abraham, and the whole chapter does. Uh, verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Evident faith. Um, as you think about the New Testament, it's actually hard to get away from the fact that faith is just at the center of all of it. it in fact, I think if you were to boil down what it looks like to walk with God... I think you boil it down to faith and grace, right? I have to believe what God has said, and I desperately need God to be gracious and give me what I need. And when I'm, when I'm looking at God's word and believing it, and God's grace is evident in my life, that produces itself in the expression of love. I think you boil it down kind of into that simple uh, a mixture. So these are just some verses that I thought of that remind us of the centrality of faith. Uh, the first one actually comes from Habakkuk. The just, if you're going to boil it down, shall live by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. 1 Corinthians 13, now abides faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And then the famous verse in Hebrews, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Do you think of any other verses that highlight the importance of faith? Can we all agree it's important? Right? Evident faith. What is faith? It's not a very complicated idea. What is faith? Trusting God and his promises. What else would you say faith is? Yeah, Hebrews 11. It's, it's, it's believing in things that you can't see. Things that you hope for. What are, what are some other words for faith? Simeon used one, trust. Uh, Terry used one, confidence. What? Dependence, that's a good one. Belief, hope, to, to rest my hope in something. Okay, faith gives us strength. Yeah, it's this commitment kind of, of character. 
Those are all good. All right, so go to Genesis chapter 12. Let's talk about Abraham and his faith this morning. We're going to spend a few weeks on Abraham, and then I've asked uh, Daniel if he'd actually do a session, uh, one of these equipped classes on faith in the family, evident faith in our families. And um, he said yes, so now I'm committing him to it publicly. Genesis chapter 12. We meet Abraham with a pretty incredible story, don't we? If you, if you want a little humor this afternoon, just go home and Google overloaded trucks. You ever seen any of these from around the world, right? Uh, um, I'm trying to remember the exact place. I think it was over by India. I saw a train loaded with people, and I thought I would have claustrophobia if I was on that train. Um, and then people and stuff, and there's a, there's a phenomenal picture of a guy riding with like 20 geese held in baskets on his bike, and I mean, it's pretty phenomenal. Uh, uh, and I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not a fan of moving, right? I, I want to move less and less in my life. Uh, although, again, holding things loosely, whatever God wants, I'm good with. But uh, we meet Abraham uh, on a move. And probably the kind of move that would scare most of us. Right? Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. God knew the cost. He knew the significance of this move. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God's command comes with a promise. Talk about three simple but loaded words here. So Abram went. He went. Done. Think what's loaded into those words. Right? Like what kinds of things are loaded into those three simple words? So Abram went. What's the first thing Abram had to do? The very first thing he had to do is what? Tell his wife. <laughs> Because I imagine what this conversation would look like in my own family. Right? Yeah. Pack up everything. Tell his wife. What else? Okay. Questions. Uncertainty. He didn't, he didn't have all the details filled out, did he? We've, moved a, we've done a couple major moves, and I feel like it takes about 18 months to settle into a new place, at least where you stop getting lost. Right? When we moved into Sandy, we lived on 90th and 7th East. Uh, and we would drive up into the city some, or I would, I would go to school where I was working at the time. I'll never forget that I learned that in Salt Lake City, the street number can change without them telling you. <laughs> right? Like, I always joke, are we, is this 126th or 123rd? Down, I think it's confused. And so the first day that I went to work, we drove up 7th to Fort Union and over to the school where I worked. And when I drove back down Fort Union to go home, I was looking for 7th. But unfortunately, between 7th and 90th and Fort Union, it becomes 9th. Does a jog, and it's not 7th anymore. So I drove down to 7th, turned south, and that dead ends, by the way, just so you know. Right? And I'm like, I'm in a new place. 
where we lived in Colorado, where I came from, you kind of had two grocery stores to choose from. One was the nicer, more expensive store. One was kind of the standard, like Smith's, Kroger, that sort of thing, called City Market. It was nice, but it wasn't as nice as Safeway. Or if, or if you really wanted to have an experience, you'd go to Natural Grocers. That was an experience. You could also get any essential oil, any medicine, any, anything you wanted there. Um, we did not shop there, but um, we shopped at City Market. Then I moved here, and I said to people, where do you shop? You know what they told me? Like five grocery stores. Well, I do my fruit here, I do my meat here, I do my staples here. I mean, you're like, yeah, that's how it works here. Like, do you, when you relocate, just kind of all goes, We <laughs> spent 18 months trying to figure out what our new normal is. I mean, there is so much packed into those three words. So he went. But he did. He went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And we get into some debate if Abraham was obeying fully at that moment, but uh, they seem to be pretty closely connected. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Mori. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Abram picked up some more information. So, um, so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord and Abraham journeyed on. So what does Abraham do when he lands in this new place? What's the first thing he does? He built an altar. He thanked God for letting him know he could stop. Right? He worshiped God and said, God, this is where you want us to live, and I'm thankful to you for guiding and directing. But I'm always struck by verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. Doesn't that seem wrong? Doesn't that seem unfair? That a guy picks up and moves his family across the world, follows God in faith, worships God, right? And, and the first experience he has, or the first recorded experience he has upon landing in his new home country is bad. You know this happens all the time as you follow God? What, what do we expect when we follow God by faith? Ease, immediate blessing. God, I did this. Your turn. <laughs> Here I am. I'm where you called me to be. I stepped out by faith. You know, bring down the blessing. And many times, not always, sometimes there's immediate blessing, and, but oftentimes there's immediate trial. Don't judge your following God based upon the immediate results. Sometimes we do that. We get in that trap. I thought about a few things that we learn from Abraham's story. Abraham follows, if we want to say it this way, he, he exhibits his faith when it doesn't make sense. He trusted God with the general direction. This is a good reminder to us that we don't need all the details, and God usually doesn't share them all with us at the beginning. And in part, that may just be because we can't handle it. 
we couldn't handle it even if he did. But God doesn't always share all the details with us, in part because he just wants us to take the first step and keep trusting him with the next steps. And he never leaves us in a place without the direction that we need. Now, he might leave us there longer, and we might wish we had more direction. But God will always give you the direction that you need when you need it. Trust God because his blessing is worth it. Hebrews 11 tells us that without faith it is impossible to please God because whoever comes to God must believe that God exists and what else? Must believe that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's one of those promises you hold on to as you follow God. God, you've got this. I trust you. You're the rewarder. Trust God at every stage of life. Verse 4 tells us Abraham was 75 years old when he left. That's not in a direct equivalence to 75 today, but, but he wasn't a young man. We think relocating or, or making major changes in life is a young man's game, but the reality is that change happens all the way through life. And God has called all of us to be willing to pull up the tent stakes, young or old, deeply connected or just shortly connected. Abraham follows God. Trust God to show you what you need to know when you need to know it. You know what I watched as I was looking through the whole story of Abraham? God keeps giving Abraham more details as he goes. He keeps building upon the specific nature of the promises that he's made. But what would Abraham have gotten if he stayed in his hometown? I think this ties into what Danny was sharing this morning about submitting our lives to God. What, what other blessings and direction would Abraham have gotten had he said no to God and parked where he was? Or told God, hey, I just need you to wait a while. He probably wouldn't have gotten any more direction. So, so just take that next step. God reveals things as we need them. I already shared this, but let me just say, trust God regardless of the short-term results. And I love what, he, or what Romans 4 says about Abraham's faith kept growing. So we should trust God as much as we can now, but keep growing in our faith. I mean, it's pretty amazing how big this story of faith starts out, isn't it? That, that God said, move across the world. And Abraham said, I'll move across the world. But can you think about how big your journey of faith started in following God? I mean, what's the first thing that God asks you to believe? But before, before you're really walking with God as a Christian, how does, how does becoming a Christian start? What are you asked to believe? In the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's unpack that a little bit, Julie. More specifically, what are some things that God asks you to believe? Okay, that he's God the Son, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And if you believe, John 3, 16, what will God give you? Eternal life. Think about how big the journey of following God by faith starts. All God says is trust him with forgiveness of your sins and your eternal destiny. Just that. You ever think about that? And then think about how the rest of our lives we actually wrestle with steps of faith that are fairly small compared to that. I mean, I'm going to give up trying to be right with God on my own. I'm going to give up trying to secure my eternal safety on my own. I'm actually going to turn that all over in faith. 
God has a, God has a habit of arguing from the, the greater to the lesser. Right? Romans 8, he who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how would he not give us all things? So when we talk about faith, it often starts big. It often starts with a significant step. But I want us to think in our last couple minutes on this thought. What does it mean to have evident faith? The word evident that's in our core value. It actually means obvious, undeniable, um, tangible. Like in real ways, our faith is obvious to people. Everybody know what this is? This is what? This is Fenway Park. About once a year, as a child, we would go to Fenway with our family. It was awesome, loved it. And when I started going to Fenway Park, it looked something like this, as I recall. And there are two famous landmarks out in left field. Anybody know what they are? The green monster, right? That big green wall out there. Some of you are like, I didn't know it was called that. It's called the green monster, or the green monster, if you live in New England, right? M-O-N-S-T-A-H. Uh, and then there was another famous landmark out there. Anybody know what it is? The Sitco sign. And if you grew up as a Red Sox fan, you knew Fenway Park in left field, there was the green monster and the Sitco sign. Now, today, this is what they've done. All right, this is classic commercialism and a few more seats for fans that they can sell. I don't know how many games in a row Fenway Park has been sold out, but it's lots. So now people can sit on top of the green monster and now there's a million advertisements and a freshened up scoreboard and a hundred things going on out there. But guess what's still there? The green monster and the Sitco sign, right? They're just evident. <laughs> there's, they're always there. They're obvious. And in fact, replica Fenway Parks have been built all around the country. But even the smallest family knows that if you're going to build a little Fenway Park, and you can do this this afternoon if you want for your own entertainment, you can Google little Fenway Parks. And they'll, almost all have, they'll all have a green monster, and almost all of them will have a Sitco sign. What does evident faith mean? It means that it's something that is obvious. You can't miss it. I don't know how big that Sitco sign is, but it has to be pretty big to see it across the stadium, right? It's a few streets away, actually, at a gas station. Our prayer is not just that we would exhibit our faith when we come to Christ, but that it would become obvious to the world around us and to one another by how we live. Th that it would come out because we're people who faithfully pray. I mean, that's how Daniel's, the counterparts of Daniel's day knew they could catch Daniel. So like, you want to see how Daniel's faith shows up? That guy's at his window three times a day, every day, he prays. They might not have known what he was praying for, but they were like, you can't, that guy is different. They saw his evident faith, his obvious faith. So is our faith, is your faith, is my faith obvious? Not just that we've trusted Christ as our Savior, but that we're living, the just shall live by faith. Because here's what can happen to us. We can get it into Christian cruise control. Where, where yes, we know that we've trusted Christ to forgive our sins and for our eternal destiny. 
but we're just kind of clicking along through the motions of life. And it's actually not that obvious to a world around us that we're any different from the next guy. Let me read you this core value because I think it really speaks this idea of our faith being evident. At Gospel Hope Church, we understand that without faith it is impossible to please God. Now listen to these next few sentences. We are willing, put your own name, your own family, your own life into these next few sentences. I am willing to be risk-taking, sacrificial, and in the eyes of the world, apparently illogical, because we know that the just shall live by faith. What did Abram's neighbors think about him? I mean, if you met Abraham after he moved, like, how did you get here and who are you? The God of heaven told me to move across the world. That's why I'm here. That's evident faith. We want to obey God regardless of the cost and even if we don't know all the details. Now, some of you are go with your gut people and you're cool with not knowing all the details. Some of us are much more planners. (laughs) It's gotta be mapped out. The first time Colleen came to visit me in New Hampshire when we were dating, I had a yellow legal pad that diagnosed our plans morning, lunch, and evening. Some of you just grimaced, and she probably did too. But it worked out. The grace of God. (laughs) It was like that. We want to obey God regardless of the cost, even if we don't know all the details. We refuse to dig our roots into that which is passing away. I heard one time somebody say, do you know what all these buildings are around us? They're premature rubble. Man, we love them. Man, we decorate and paint them. And I'm not saying you shouldn't decorate and paint them, but let's not get too attached to the stuff. And we will prayerfully invest in our, invest our families, our finances, and our futures in the work of God because we trust the promises of God. That is evident faith. You know what this thing makes me ask? Is my faith evident? Or have I shifted into cruise control in some areas of my life? We'll keep unpacking Abram's life after most of you leave for Danny's class next week. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of faith. Ephesians 2 tells us that faith is a gift from you. And God, we acknowledge that so often we believe, but we sense our own unbelief. So we pray that you might help us to grow in our faith. That we might listen to you, say, God, what do you want us to do? And then we might do it. We might make the changes that you've called us to. We might let go of some things that we're holding too tightly. That we might invest things that we've previously been holding for ourselves. God, would you make us people of evident faith, true sons and daughters of Abraham in that way. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.